morning again. Um, we are concluding our series on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's Gospel uh, this morning before Easter, and we come to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 20. So hear the word of our Lord. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us, for your goodness towards us. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that it has been preserved, that we can trust it. Uh, We pray that you would meet with us and transform us by your spirit even now. Uh, We know that there are many in this room that are tired and discouraged, uh, many that are worn down and doubting and searching. Um, Father, there are some that are excited to be here. There are others that that used to once define them, but it doesn't anymore. We ask that you would meet with us, that we would experience your love and grace and goodness and mercy afresh this morning. We pray that you would teach us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, do we talk about Bruno? No, we don't talk about Bruno, but we're going to this morning. Um, If you haven't seen Encanto, um, you should watch it. You'll weep. It's the best. Um, Bruno is is one of three triplets of the family Madrigal, and they and the members of their family, they live in this enchanted house, and they, the, the members of the immediate family, they have this, these gifts that are given to them by this miracle that are supposed to help them serve the community. So, you know, one sister can control the weather with her emotions. Um, one can heal through her cooking. Um, the children, their gifts include shape-shifting and super strength and the ability to troll plants um, and communicating with animals. Well, Bruno uh, has the gift of prophecy, and he could tell the future. Um, And because of his gift in the story, um, he's viewed with fear and confusion and suspicion. Um, And he eventually leaves the family and the community in disgrace. And everyone everywhere knows we don't talk about Bruno. Um, he's, He's the black sheep of the family. He's brought failure and shame to his community and to his family. And at the end of the movie, I'm going to spoil it for you, so I'm sorry. You've had a lot of time to watch it. Um, (laughs) It's revealed at the end of the movie that that Bruno never left the house, that he's been hiding inside of its walls, secretly repairing the cracks and the decay that's going on without being seen or noticed. And then at the end of the movie, the house falls apart 
completely, just collapses. And Bruno is finally reunited with his family. And you see this anxiety come over Bruno. You know, how are they going to receive me? Will they love me? Do they still love me? Um, So Bruno launches into these apologies. And what's so beautiful is his sister stops him, interrupts him, puts her arms around him, hugs him. I say, I can't even get through it. It messes me up. Embraces him and says, we're just glad you're here. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel on display for us. It's really a picture of the prodigal son returning home. And he launches into his apologies, and he's met by the embrace of his father, and they have a celebration, and they throw a party. It's beautiful. But the disciples are are really wrestling with what Bruno's wrestling here in this moment, is do they really love me? Do you really love me? God, do you really love me? Can you really answer my prayers? You know, do you ever find yourself asking that question, God, do you really love me? What does it mean for, for, for you to love me? Can, can anyone really love me? Will you really answer my prayers? I think if we're honest, it's something we all wrestle with from one time to another. Um, but Jesus is, is concluding, he's wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount here, And he's displayed what life in his kingdom really looks like. Um, He explains what the wholehearted life, what life um, lived in faith and dependence upon him as king looks like. And it's not only difficult, it's impossible. You know, the the disciples um, are, are, are taught here through the Sermon on the Mount. They're taught how to live, how to behave. They're to be poor in spirit. They're to be merciful. They're to be peacemakers. They're to um, love their enemies. They're going to be persecuted. They're to show who Jesus is by their good works. Um, They're to have a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. They're not supposed to hold grudges. They're not supposed to murder. They're not supposed to have anger rule their hearts. They're to be pure. They're to um, not worry. They're to not judge. And the disciples hear all this, and they're like, what are we supposed to do? We can't do that, Jesus. Can you really love us in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our brokenness? And Jesus, the king who comes riding in on the donkey, the one that we celebrate today, uh, the king of creation who makes everything, who defines our reality, who accomplishes victory over sin and death, not through conquest and power, but through weakness and suffering, and death on a cross, through his resurrection, he, he comes to his disciples, and he comes to us this morning, and he offers encouragement to us at the end of his sermon. He says, ask, seek, knock, because you have a Father in heaven who is good, who loves you, who has time for you, who's not tired of you, he, he loves you and is for you. He will give you good gifts. So this morning, on this Palm Sunday, as we conclude this sermon series, we see Jesus giving us amazing encouragement and also a couple of warnings. Uh, so this morning, we're going to look at the king's posture, we're going to look at the king's path, and we're going to look at the king's promises. So first, the king's posture. Um, this passage if you read through commentaries, they say this is one of the most encouraging, if not the most encouraging passage on prayer in the scriptures. One of the most encouraging passages on talking with God, on nurturing our relationship with him. Jesus invites us to him to come and to ask and to seek and to knock. 
If you read 7 through 11, Jesus is almost begging us to come and to pray to him. Ask God for help in prayer. Seek because you might not know what you're looking for. Uh, But when we seek God, Jesus assures us here that we'll find him and that we'll discover what it is that we really desire. We're called to knock, and this implies that we're looking for something that is inaccessible to us, something that's behind a door that we can't get to. We've tried and we've tried and we've failed, and we can't do it on our own, but Jesus assures us here, God can, and he promises to open the door to us if it's good for us. Jesus wants us to have assurances from his promises here. And again, remember, the disciples, they're wrestling with this question, you know, does prayer really make a difference? God, do you really love me? Will you really answer my prayers? Do you even care about us at all? And Jesus responds with this incredible encouragement. And he tells a story about a son and a father. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? You know, here, this, here's, a, here's a stone. You've asked for bread, but this is round and earthy. Like, it's here, you can have this. Or, which of you, if your son asks for a fish, will, will give him a snake? You go, oh, here, this, this has scales too. This will work for you. Um, Jesus knows how absurd this is. He says, you won't give something that's useless. You won't give something that's potentially harmful to your children. He says, you know, if you who are evil meaning you who are sinful know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What's beautiful here is Jesus doesn't use guilt to motivate his people to come to him. He roots prayer in the character, in the goodness of God, because God delights in our presence. He delights in our prayers, and he delights in sharing his presence with us, and he invites you this morning to relate to him as father. So, you know, how would you think about other people's posture, you know, toward you, you know, whether it's your teachers or your friends, your boss, your spouses, your, your co-worker, your neighbors, your children, you know, does, does their posture towards you, does it provide any sort of assurance to you? Jesus wants you to see that his posture, that God's posture towards you is one of goodness and compassion and love. He wants you to know you can trust me because I'm good, because I love you, I'm for you, I'm with you, and God can only give good things. If you remember how how God defines himself in Exodus 34, he says this, he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness. God's perfect and holy and without sin, but he's not harsh, he's not vindictive, he's not wicked, he's good. And so if you remember the disciples, they've just heard, we've talked about it, this call to this kingdom righteousness, to to wholeheartedness, to flourishing, to living a life honorable towards the king, and they know that they can't meet the standard. So where are we to start? What are we to ask for? How, are we, how do we even begin? What posture helps us as we approach the, the king's posture towards us? First, we come in humility, and we can ask for forgiveness. If you read Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says here, uh, he says, God will give you not good gifts, but the Holy Spirit. So we can ask for grace. 
We can ask for mercy. We can ask for forgiveness. We can ask for the Spirit, and Jesus delights and promises to give these things to you. Jesus, in some ways, is hearkening back to Jeremiah 29, 13. This is like my new favorite Bible verse, um, which says this. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jesus is inviting us to seek after him and his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. And he promises here and throughout the whole scripture that he will give you those good things. So we can pray for, for those things. We can pray for, for spiritual things like you know, righteousness and patience and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and love in the Holy Spirit. But Jesus doesn't want us to just pray for those holy things. He wants us to know that we can pray for ordinary, everyday things too. We can come to him with the things that weigh heavy on us the things that we need day to day. If you remember back to to Matthew chapter 6 when he teaches us how to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus wants you to know that as your king, he is just as concerned about those things as you are. He's not distant. He's not removed. He's present. He's active. He's engaged. But James, in in chapter 4, verses 2 to 3, he has a little warning for us about prayer. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James is really cautioning us here to look at our motives. You know, we're not praying like the Janis Joplin song, the, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Um, This isn't a way for us to indulge ourselves or to even ask for things that may not be good for us. Um, Remember back to Jesus' story. The boy's asking for fish. He's asking for bread. He's asking for his daily necessities. And that's what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. The good things that Jesus is promising here to give us, that God will surely give us, it's not that he'll give us everything that we can have, everything that we might want or imagine, you know, like the genie from Aladdin, and then there's all these unintended consequences. Um, But he knows what's good for us. He knows what we need. And then this asking and this seeking and this knocking uh, that Jesus is calling us to, it's present, it's continual, it's repetitive. It's like we just keep coming. We just keep coming day after day. And this can be an obstacle for us. This this can be hard for us because we think that God responds like every other parent under the sun. You know, we think God can respond like I do when Sawyer, my four-year-old, asks for a pink bowl with strawberries in it. Because once she starts, she doesn't stop. She just, can I have a pink bowl? Can I have a pink bowl? Can I have a pink bowl? Can you put strawberries in it? Strawberries? Can I have a pink bowl with strawberries? I'm like, yes, Sawyer, I'm going to get it. Can I have a pink bowl with strawberries? Can I have a pink bowl with strawberries? Yes, yes, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Pink bowl with strawberry. And then, like, it's in front of her. Can I have a pink bowl with strawberries? I'm like, you have it right in front of you. (laughs) We think that's how God responds to us. You know, we think, (laughs) we think that's who God is. But we can't tone down one of the most generous promises that Jesus gives us in the Bible. You know, it it doesn't mean that we babble on like the pagans that Jesus warns us against in chapter 6. It doesn't mean that we wear him down with our continual asking like children do with their parents, that if I just keep asking, I'll get what I want. Um, They'll eventually get tired and give in. God isn't like us. He doesn't get irritated when we continually come to him in fact he invites you to do that he says come 
Ask, seek, knock. Jesus is begging us here, relate to my Father as your Father, as the one who is good, who delights in giving good gifts to his children, who doesn't get tired of your prayers and your requests. He invites you to take him at his word this morning. What would it be like if we actually did that? But we can also struggle with this because we're tempted to think, you know, I can do this on my own. I'm, I can, I'm too proud. I don't need to ask for help. I'm unwilling to ask for help. I don't need help. Or we think, you know, God's too busy to deal with this. He's got bigger things. Like, there's a war in Ukraine. He doesn't care about what's going on in my life. Um, the reality is, is Jesus doesn't live into the kingdom in isolation or all by himself. He prays to the Father all the time we find throughout the Gospels. You know, we might feel like it's selfish to, to ask God for things, or we think God's distant and he's uncaring, he's uninvolved. You know, we think he's just not trustworthy for us. But asking and seeking and knocking, it requires humility from us. It requires that, that we admit that we're weak, that we're needy, that we're broken, that we're sinful, that we don't and we can't have it all together, and that we need help. You know, having it all together, it's a myth. It's, it's, a, it's a lie that we buy into um, that becomes a false idol and a false god for us. It requires humility to take ourselves off of the throne, to let Jesus be the king over our lives, to be the king that he came to be, and he really is the only one that can do that job well enough for us. You know, we might think again, you know, I just, I can't ask for this. It's too much or it's, it's too insignificant. I don't want to bother God with this. Jesus tells us here, I care. Come on, bring it on. Let's go. Ask me. Come, seek, knock. I promise to give you good gifts. Come and ask. It's an invitation for us to take him at his word and to relate to our God as the good God that he says he is and to ask him, be that good God that you say that you are. Now, I know immediately as we start talking about prayer, we have to address the elephant in the room here. What about unanswered prayers, Kyle? You know, what about when we ask for good things? What about when we ask for God's kingdom to come and we ask for these good things and God doesn't give them to us? The reality is, is I don't have a great answer for you. I don't have a great answer for, for unanswered prayers. Um, and if I'm honest, those typical answers, um, they don't really do much for me in the moment. You know, answers like, you know, God does answer, but not in the way that we, we expected. Or our motives really are impure. Or we don't really know what we're asking for. Or um, we're out of God's will. And so we need to ask differently. You know, none of these answers may help in hindsight. But none of these answers really get to the heartfelt pain and the yearning and the longing for God to act in those moments. You know, I don't even want us to appeal to mystery here, even though prayer is a great mystery. I want to encourage you, if, when you find yourself in that place, to remember who God is. To remember that he's a good father. Remember, focus on him. Remember who he is. Continue to lay your requests before him. Continue to place your faith. Continue to place your hope and your trust in him because he really is good. And then 
you can take comfort in the fact that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prays for God to take this cup of wrath for him, and he doesn't get what he asked for either sometimes. But he trusts God. He knows he's good. He continues to go before him, and we can be encouraged by that. We can remember that God is good, that he's for us, that he's with us, that he loves us. And no matter what happens around us or it looks like what's going on, that is reality. And anything that tells you otherwise is a lie whispering in your ear. That's what living by faith really means. It's not denial. It's not blindness. It's this knowledge of. It's this hope. It's this trust in the one who really can protect, in the one who really can provide, in the one who really can guide and sustain us. So before we get to Jesus' warnings here, um, I promise the other points are not as long as the first one. Um, it doesn't, the, the ratio doesn't work. Um, Jesus, we get to verse 12, and Jesus sums up the law and the prophets for us in this way that seems really disconnected um, to the previous passage. And, and he says in verse 12, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Remember, Jesus is closing his sermon, and he's summarizing all that came before it. Jesus is saying, in a sense, true discipleship, true following of me, true keeping of the law is keeping the golden rule. The entire will of God, the law and the prophets, is about learning to love other people or to treat other people the way we want to be treated ourselves. You know, from, from morning to night, our daily call as followers of Jesus is to monitor our behavior towards other people in accordance with the way that we would want to be treated. And in reality, it's in how Jesus has treated us, you know, in even more gracious and amazing ways than we ever thought we could imagine or ever thought we deserved. You know, when Jesus says others here in this passage, it means all people. It means everyone. It doesn't mean brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't, it doesn't just mean that. It means everyone, brothers and sisters in Christ. It means enemies. It means neighbors. It means parents. It means children. It means spouses. It means neighbors. It means coworkers. It means everyone, all people. And so the call for us is to ask, you know, is this how I would like to be treated? Or maybe more importantly, is this how God treats me? Is this his posture towards me? You know, when I fail, when I'm caught, when I'm excited, when I'm sad, when I'm discouraged, when I'm doubting, when I'm hurting, is this how I would want to be treated? And is this how Jesus treats me when I'm in the same spot? Jesus isn't saying, do unto others as they do to you. He's saying, reflect my love. Reflect my posture towards you. He's inviting us to be creative, to, to use our imaginations, to anticipate the needs of those around us, to live as a, general, a generous disciple because we have a generous Father in heaven who loves us and he calls us to love as he's loved us. So then we come to, to, the, to the warnings section, right? Like this is the end of Jesus' sermon. He has these four warnings um, and we're coming to the king's path now and the king's promises and we're going to look at those together. Um, so first we come to the king's path, verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So Jesus concludes this sermon with these four warnings, and we're just going to look kind of briefly at the first two. 
But the first one about the, the wide and the narrow gates, it's essentially asking this question. Are you with Jesus or are you not? Jesus doesn't really pull any punches here. He's saying, you know, what he says in John chapter 10 and John chapter 14, where he says, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then in John 14, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus wants his disciples. He wants you and me this morning to know that his Sermon on the Mount, his gospel, his, his reality, it's not like an intellectual option. Um, it's not just some set of suggestions that we can take or we can leave. It's not one even philosophy of life among many that, that are all equally valid. Um, Jesus is, is saying this is the way to life. This is the only way. This is the exclusive way to life, and this is what I'm calling you to. I have to be your king, Jesus is saying. So what about the broad gate the, and, the, and the broad road? Um, if we're honest, you know, life apart from following Jesus um, seems really enticing and alluring to us. Um, you can do whatever you want. You're the author of your own story. You're the king of your own life. You know, the, the phrases like, you know, live your truth and you do you, you know, those promise excitement and they promise satisfaction. They promise this happy and carefree and fulfilled life that's free of commitments, that's free of shame, um, that's free of judgment, that's filled with pleasure. Um, but if we're honest, we're easily deceived into thinking that, that we can create or we can be a better version of the king. But Jesus offers a warning here. He says, you know, if you follow the crowds, as it were, if you stay on this big path, this big wide road, it's going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to you being thrown into the fire. Jim Carrey uh, once said in an interview, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed so they can see that it's not really the answer. You know, seeking our pleasure seeking our satisfaction. It's elusive. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. And seeking that pleasure apart from him, it doesn't, it doesn't answer our heart's deepest longings. But Jesus really knows us at our core. He knows the deep longings of our heart. And then he continues, the path is narrow, you know, small is the gate. Why does Jesus say this? Because entering through his gate, following the king's path, it's hard. Following Jesus is not easy. The king's path of discipleship is not easy. You know, why would we say that? Because the first way to enter into it is to admit that you are broken and needy, that you're a sinner in need of God's grace, in need of his mercy and forgiveness. That's just obstacle one. And then following Jesus on the king's path, it means following him and the, and the king's calls on you to obey his commands that he referenced earlier against, you know, lust and anger and oaths and retaliation and hate and worry and control and boasting and selfishness. You know, Jesus says following me is likely going to result in suffering and persecution on your part. You're going to be treated like I was treated, Jesus is saying. That, that you're not going to live a life immune from pain and suffering. You know, we hear that, and it's scary. It's not fun. The call to be a disciple is not a call to the good life. 
It doesn't mean that you're going to get everything that you want and everything that you can desire, but it does mean that you'll get Jesus. And that's the most important thing. And this is where we come to the king's promises. Following Jesus on the king's path, it doesn't end in destruction. It doesn't end in being cut off. It ends in life. It ends in wholeness and in peace and in resurrection. You know, if Jesus really is the king, then he gets to set all the parameters of his kingdom. It's not up to us as citizens to get to decide who's in and who's out. You know, so entering through the narrow gate, walking the king's path, as it were, of discipleship and faith, it's about entering into a relationship with the Father who's good. It's about entering into a relationship with Jesus as your king and as your savior, as the one who shapes all of life, the one who shapes all of reality for us. Being in relationship means following him in his ways, summed up in, in loving God and your neighbor as yourself and reflecting his posture towards you, his character, and his heart. And this isn't always easy for us either. So again, I want to encourage you, if you're trusting in Jesus and you just find that you're struggling, that you're doubting, that you're discouraged, that there's this sin that you just can't seem to overcome, let me encourage you. Go back to the beginning of our text. Ask, seek, knock. Ask for grace, ask for forgiveness, ask for hope, ask for faith, ask for Jesus to create in you a clean heart and to set your affections on him. He promises to give you good gifts. And then, you know, if you don't know where you stand with Jesus this morning, if you're not sure if you really want him to be your king, again, I invite you to ask this question, is the path that I'm on, is it leading to life or is it leading to destruction? Jesus isn't a harsh taskmaster. He's not this petulant, distant, angry ruler. He's a good king who loves his people, who shows his goodness through his death and resurrection for us, inviting us in. He doesn't rule by force and conquest. He rules through his weakness and his death and through triumphing over sin and death on the cross through, through his death and resurrection for us. This king is alive and he invites you to, to enter in to a life of forgiveness, to a life of freedom, to a life of joy, to a life of intimacy and compassion and wholeness. And so we just have to ask really quickly here at the end, what about the fruit? What about the, the last warning? You know, Paul talks about it in, in Galatians 5. You know, we'll, Jesus says, they'll know you by your fruit. Galatians 5 says, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there's no law. You know, one of our seminary professors used to say, theology without praxis is dead. And that's what Jesus is warning here with the, about with the wolves. He's saying, you know, theology without practice. You can have all the right theology, but if you don't practice love, if, you don't practice, if the fruit of the Spirit isn't demonstrated in your life, there's no point. James highlights this. He says, faith without works is dead. You know, if we're asking and we're seeking and we're knocking in faith, Trusting Jesus as our king, trusting that he came to die for us, to make us his, seeking forgiveness and seeking the life that he offers us in grace, then we'll be a people known by our fruit. We'll be a people known by our love for others as Jesus has loved us. Again, if you're struggling with this, 
if you find that the fruit isn't that palpable in your life, maybe there's a bud, it's not as tasty as you hoped it would be, if you have really great theology, but you don't really care about people, Jesus is inviting you, ask, seek, knock, come to me. I offer good things. I offer grace. I offer forgiveness. In 2015, um, I led a group of our senior high students to RYM in, in Colorado, in SS Park, and we went with Christ the King in Houston and Redeemer Sugarland, and we had this bus full of students, and one day we went on this hike, and there were about 50 of us, uh, and it was supposed to be like a pretty good like six-mile hike in, in the mountains. Um, we had enough food, enough water, um, enough snacks for our journey. Um, Jeff and Nancy are laughing because Maddie was on this trip. Um, we, we were all tracking our steps. We had like our Fitbits and our watches, and we're seeing how close we're getting to six miles because six miles, we're kind of getting tired. And then we went past six miles, and we began to realize that we were nowhere close to being where we were supposed to end up. Um, we ran out of food. We ran out of water. Uh, we ran out of snacks. We came across like a bear den that was empty. Um, that was terrifying. Then we saw a sign, and it said the, the, our destination was six more miles. And we, like, stood in front of it and tried to, like, keep the kids from looking at it. We're like, oh, nothing to see here. Don't look at this. Um, it was awful. Um, this was supposed to be this, like, fun, maybe a little challenging six-mile hike. It became this long and difficult 13-mile hike. Um, what we needed, we didn't have. It was harder than we anticipated. You know, after seeing the bear den, it was scarier than we expected it to be. Um, the students were getting hostile. It was, it was hilarious um, and sad. Uh, but we knew the bus was waiting for us. Um, we knew the bus was there. And when we turned the corner and we saw the bus in the distance with its air conditioning and with its comfy, like, cushioned chairs and with our plenteous supply of water, we sprinted and ran towards it and celebrated. You know, it, it, the bus was going to take us back to camp where we were going to get replenished. We were going to have a shower and dinner and a nap. Um, Jesus wants us to see this morning that his path it might not be easy. It might be longer. It might be harder. It might be scarier than we expected. But he gives us the assurance that it's going to result in life with him that makes the bus that we were anticipating pale in comparison to the life and the hope and the resurrection and the wholeness that's guaranteed to us in life through him. We're entering into Holy Week this morning. We're celebrating Jesus is our king today. Good Friday's coming, and there we're going to see the king's posture for us on full display when the king who gives us the law gives his life up so that we can join him on the king's path, so that we can be brought into his family through his death and resurrection, that we might experience the king's promises of life and fruitfulness in him. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your kindness towards us. We thank you for your goodness to us. We pray that you would help us to see your posture towards us, to be invited to relate to you as Father, to see that you are good despite what our hearts, despite what the world, despite what those around us tell us. 
that we might enter into a relationship with you and follow you on your path, that we might enjoy and look forward to the promises of life with you. It's in Christ's name we come. Amen.